Welcome, right. everyone, to the Seattle Sports Union podcast. Uh, we're joined here tonight uh, with, uh, well, Brian, the Soul Man Solak is here with me. This is Matt, uh, the Dirty Duck, I guess, uh, Paige. And we're joined, we have a special guest tonight, Keith Law from the Athletic and, well, author and all sorts of other content, <laughs> novel. Oh, you're a board gamer I'm seeing here. Uh, on I, your, big, uh, I am big, a very big, big board, board gamer. gamer. Well, I'm a board gamer who occasionally writes about baseball. Okay, board gamer. Okay, <laughs> but that's a good way to look at it. And we're here to talk about his recent uh, posting of all the the uh, prospect list. We've got the uh, top 100 that he's covering, and this today was the NL West. And tomorrow will be the AL West with our Mariners and – we're going to try and pry a little extra details out of him if he can give us any. I think I can, right? By the time this this is live, right? It's, we're 10 and a half hours maybe from this going Oh, uh, yeah. Going All right. Live, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, I get, you guys get the preview. Nobody else will. Oh, oh okay. Very cool. Right. Very, very cool. cool. We get the, the first hand here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the history of your top 100 prospect? I believe you. I read that you're do, you've been doing it for like the last 15 years. Yes. Um, I didn't do it my first winter at ESPN. So it would have been the second one. So that'd be 2007 into 2008, I believe was the first time I did a top 100. And, um, you know, back then it was really just a top 100. That was pretty much all I did because I was still getting started at ESPN building a network of contacts and it takes a while to see the players. You can't see as one, as a, you know, mostly a solo operator, I can't see all the players. So it took a couple of cycles till I had enough familiarity with the minor leagues and felt like I could do a credible version of the, of not just a top 100, but maybe get into some team reports or some additional details, you know, more guys who just missed or who's going to have more impact in the upcoming year or some sleepers in every system. So I built it out over the years and went from, you know, top 100 and then top fives per team, top tens uh, for every team. And then uh, eventually uh, settled on the format probably about five years ago, settled on the format that I, I still use now, which is 20 guys per team ranked others of note. If a team has more than 20 prospects, who I think are interesting. And then always try to identify guys who have impact in the upcoming season and some, some sleeper prospects. But the general idea has always been kind of the same. I'm trying to identify who's going to have the most value with more of an eye towards upside or ceiling even if it entails a little bit more risk, I want to balance the two as much as possible to try to also give readers, not just a sense of my own opinion, but how the industry perceives a lot of these players. And Mm -hmm. it's not going to mirror the industry perfectly. When I mean the industry, I mean the teams, right? I mean, front offices and scouts rather than the writing industry. Um, And so, you know, I hope that what you're getting is a, a blend of those, my opinion, because I do try to see as many players as I can and obviously have some, some history with statistical analysis, and then also what I can glean from teams, from scouts, from front office executives, from analysts, what they feel about players. So that, you know, I hope anyone comes away from my list, whether you're a fan of a particular team, you're a fan of prospects in general, you're a fantasy player. I hope you walk away with as as accurate and comprehensive a picture as I can give you of the state of the minors. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I never pretend I have it right. It's, in fact, I know I don't. Someone on this list, someone ranked in the 80s on this list is going to turn out to be way better than somebody I have ranked in the top 20. It's just how it goes. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Hopefully I gave readers the information within the con- within the actual descriptions of the players that they'll still feel informed even when 
the rankings, which are kind of like the least important part, but the thing everyone focuses on, even when those turn out to not be that all that accurate. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, how has your process changed over the years? Uh, You know, I mean, with 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 modern day smartphones and, Mm -hmm. you know, Twitter videos of of prospects and Dominican and all that stuff. You know, I mean, how much how much more accessible have you gotten or how much more tape are you able to access and, and how's your process changed? Um, it, it takes longer than ever. Certainly. <laughs> um, it, but a lot of it is because I, I, I was saying to you guys offline, it's that just always that desire to get more, to know more so that I can say more. Um, and, you know, we have a lot. The, the number one change is obviously teams now have all of this. Trackman style data, Statcast style data, and they're generally willing to share that stuff when it paints a positive picture of their players. Obviously, less so when doesn't. But sometimes I get that stuff from other teams. Oh, we don't like so and so because he's got a really poor spin rate on his curveball. Oh, okay, well that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of stuff probably never appeared at all in my prospect rankings till about five years ago, mm-hmm. maybe even less than that. And now I incorporate it where I can. And to me, that's just such a great compliment to what we see when we go out and, and watch players. When I go see players, I'm looking for the same stuff scouts do. I worked with scouts in Toronto. I learned from scouts and I still carry a lot of those philosophies forward. But what scouts look for has changed. And I'm trying as best as I can to change with them and to stay up to speed and make sure that, you know, I guess things that we thought maybe, you know, 10 years ago was can he sink the fastball? Everybody's hitting home runs. So you better be able to keep the ball down, have great downhill plane or sink or cut something on it to keep hitters from just teeing off on it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there was this philosophical change. Oh, if you got a high spin four seamer and you can throw it up in the zone or even above the top of the zone, it's really effective at getting swings and misses. Oh, okay. So that fastball that I thought maybe was a little too true and would just ride up at the top of the zone. Turns out that might be a good thing got to change my philosophy, got to be more open-minded about that. And so that's a very data-driven example, but all of this is, it's always about, to me, it's always learning the things, the thing you thought wasn't possible. The, the Chris sale example, one of the bigger misses I think I've ever had uh, in terms of evaluating a prospect. I couldn't, I just didn't think that guy would stay healthy more than anything else. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And he did. I get an example like that. And do I say, all right, next time a guy comes along with an arm action like that, do I change my view or do I say, no, Chris sale was an extreme outlier and I was wrong. I completely good. I'm good admitting I was wrong on that, but I think he's the outlier and shouldn't change my philosophy going forward on guys with those the particular characteristics of his arm action that made me so nervous about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, to me, it's a continuous improvement process and it should never change until I eventually stop doing this. Um, and I don't want it to, cause it would be boring then. And it's not, it's not boring to learn about players. It's not yeah. boring to see guys change or surprise me or just completely contradict what I expected out of them. It's kind of the fun of it. When an Austin Riley, a guy, I, you know, kind of killed as a prospect a bunch of times goes out and puts in the work himself mm-hmm and remakes who he is as a hitter. That's awesome. Yeah. And I actually told him that I did yeah. a story on him. I talked to him and I said, I hope you're really proud of yourself because this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like very few hitters are able to do what you did. And that's awesome. 
That is awesome. So I, I'm going to be the one to ask it. Why is Julio number nine? Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> well, <Convince> I mean, us. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'll, I'll never understand people who are mad about that. Okay, I, just, I don't get not. it. I, I know you're not. I know you're not. I know you're mimicking the, the or echoing. It's like, well, we watched said, him here in Everett for most of the season. And then we lost him. Right. To double A. Right. Yeah. yeah he deserved it, but we wanted oh, to my God. all year. <laughs> you know, probably could have finished in triple a um, oh, yeah. you know i compare him a little bit to what the nats did with Cade cavalli where Cade cavalli started here mm-hmm. in high a uh, in wilmington for listeners you don't know i'm in wilmington delaware and mm-hmm. uh oh god about seven minutes from the ballpark uh, if anyone comes through i've we, we got great great restaurants in wilmington delaware no one no one thinks it's going to be true but i promise you <laughs> here. um and so you know, Cade, Cade was only here for about a month. I actually missed him, which is hilarious. Oh. I was like, oh, I got plenty of time. Gone, double A. Oh, no. <laughs> Goes up to double A. Finally, I drive up there. I'm like, I got to see this. This is ridiculous, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> he goes to double A, and he's pretty damn good still. Mm-hmm. But I went and saw him. There's little red flags, right? He's still a great prospect. He's in my mm-hmm. top 50. It's nothing, you know, he's good. Mm-hmm. I was like, there's stuff, right? There's some things he needs to work on. And the Nats moved him up to triple A. And confirmed for me, it was to challenge him yeah, and see, and you know what? He struggled and it's probably good right now. He has to make the next set of adjustments. I'm not criticizing the Mariners, but they could have done the same thing with Julio at some point. They could have changed the time to he's much younger. So they didn't need to, yeah. they could have easily said, we're just going to keep pushing with the ladder until he fails a little bit and then let him go through that process of adjusting. Not criticizing, they didn't do anything wrong. I'm saying that they, they easily could have done that with how dominant he was, especially in the early part of the season. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Oh, to answer, I didn't answer your question. Yeah, actually. why is he nine? Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, like uh, saying a guy's a top ten prospect is is he's a superstar, right? Oh yeah, I think this mm-hmm. guy's going to be really, really great. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's two things more than anything. I think he ends up in a corner ultimately, and if he yeah. stays in center, which some people believe he will, he's not going to be. It's not going to be huge defensive value. And if you look, almost all the guys ahead of him, I think except for one, that Spencer Torkelson, who really just has the edge that he's major league ready right now. Yeah, okay. they're pretty much up the middle guys and all guys who project to provide some real defensive value up the middle. And that's a big separator when it comes to, to potentially total value. And I have a tiny, I mean, this is such a trivial concern, but Julio swing can get long. It's not an issue for him so far. Maybe it'll never be an issue. I absolutely acknowledge that. I would like to see it against a higher level. Maybe yeah. it does. Maybe it doesn't struggle until he gets to the big leagues. He'll figure it out. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think he's going to be bad, right? If I thought there was a real problem, he wouldn't be ninth on the list. He oh, would yeah. be 20, 30, 40 spots lower. <laughs> but by putting him ninth, I'm saying, no, I think he's going to succeed. And even little tiny questions I have, he'll eventually figure it out. But there are things to consider against a player like Adley Rutschman, who's first on the list, oh, yeah. where it's, okay, this guy's, th- there's nothing missing, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the, he, the worst thing I can say about Adley Rutschman is he should have been in the majors already. <laughs> it's not much of a criticism. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Yeah, he should be. Baltimore dragging mm-hmm. their feet, I think. Yep. That's money. It's always, if you want to know why a baseball team did something, all of the money. It's probably money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, will Julio struggle like Kalanick did last summer, do you think, when he comes I, up? Or? I mean, I didn't think Kalanick would struggle like that. Yeah. I will say in Kalanick's defense, I mean, he was better the second time around. I think most oh, yeah. folks, yeah. you know, we all had a he brief, made an you adjustment. Know, team. Those of us on team Kalanick all had a little heart attack briefly. And it was like, <laughs> oh, no, no, he's fine. He's fine. Um, and he's going to keep getting better. But I will say, 
and I, I, I wrote this somewhere recently. I don't know if it was in one of my capsules or a Q&A I did on the site, but the gap between the minors and the majors right now feels like it's as big as it's ever been. Mm-hmm. That the jump for a lot of players, position players and pitchers, is just bigger. It's harder to jump to the majors. Some of that is just major leaguers are getting better all the time. Right? This is the, today, it's the best players we've ever seen in major league history. And the guys a year from now will be even better. Like it's just a constant pushing upward of the, the upper ceiling on the talent in major league baseball. So I'm sure that's some of it. The pandemic didn't help major league baseball deciding to use a different baseball and triple A in the majors than they do in double and below, which is really stupid, but yeah. that really yeah. doesn't help. And that's clearly affected a lot of players. Mm-hmm. I'm 100% convinced that is what happened to Edward Cabrera who will figure it out, but guess what? Change up didn't, moved the same way when he got to AAA and when he got to the majors. I was reviewing film of him from the majors and I'm asking guys at Major League Baseball, I said, you coded that a changeup? Are you sure? Because yeah. it has the characteristics of just a bad fastball. Yeah. And in, in most cases, they, they probably were changeups and that he just, you know, different baseball, different seams, different grip. It yeah. comes out, just doesn't come out the way you want it to. So they're all going to have to adjust. Mm-hmm. I, Lucas Giolito, I interviewed on my podcast a couple of years ago. He's commented on this oh, yeah. multiple times that his curveball's never been as sharp in AAA and the majors as it was when he was coming up through the system because it's mm-hmm. a different baseball and he can't quite spin it the same way. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Nueve Marte, number 11. That seems pretty high. Why, why the high grade? And yeah, what should right? we be watching for this summer? Because yeah. he's going to be playing in front of us. I was going to say, does this mean if I hate Julio, right? Does that mean I love Noelvi? Like, <laughs> he's, he's, he's even younger and he's, oh, and he's, he's even higher. Yeah. You know what? Every, I mean, he was one. Now, I've never seen him in person, okay. right? He is, he, might, he is actually, I think, the highest ranked person player I have never seen. Um, and on my list, I mean, and I'm dying to see him. I mean, part of this was just, you know, not seeing anybody in 2020 and still, yeah. unfortunately, not seeing as many guys as I wanted to last year, like not doing spring training. You know, if I get to spring training this year, assuming there's, there should be a minor league spring training, no matter what, yeah, he'll will, be there because yeah. he's not on the 40 man. He will be my number one target. Um, okay. I wonder if Oscar Colas with the White Sox, the Cuban guy they just signed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He might be my number two target, not because I think he's the second best prospect out there, but because he's old. He played in NPB. He might move really fast. Yeah. And so so uh, clock's ticking, right? It was always whenever Puig, Soler, all those guys signed. Oh, my God. I got to rush out and see this guy. <laughs> what if he's in the big leagues in, in half a season, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm not prepared to talk. I remember going to see Diane Vicieto <laughs> with the White Sox Boy. and being like, I don't think he's that good. Like, they gave him a whole lot of money, right? Am I just mm-hmm. not? okay and so but i had to it was like i remember my editor at cdspn was like when are you seeing viciedo like I, as soon as i can but there's 15 teams out here and i'm one man <laughs> anyway noel v i mean scouts are just well, first of all scouts are all in on noel v i've seen video but this was primarily based on scouts and executives from other teams mm-hmm. just coming in and saying look this guy is pr- pretty good chance that he's a shortstop. You know, your only fear is just does he kind of outgrow the position a little bit. But if he goes third base, he might be a plus defender even better over there. So not really worried about position or positional value. Third base just as valuable as second base. So I treat it kind of like it's an up the middle position when valuing players. Okay. His, his swing is great. It's it, the, his hands are really quick. He's already making a ton of contact, which to me is 
the number one thing, I mean, it's always been a thing I've looked at with young players, but especially now everybody strikes out so much. If you're a young hitter, young for your leagues and you are showing and you show a good contact rate, just a good ability to a put the bat on the ball, B to, to barrel up the baseball. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just separates you so quickly. Mm -hmm. I was looking at, you know, just writing, I won't go into a, you know, who, because it's critical of another player, but prospect in a different system who superficially would have had pretty good stats. So you got to the strikeout column and I started digging in on some of the other data I have access to. And so, yeah, this guy's probably not going to hit actually. That's the biggest thing. You got power, you got, you know, do you have power? You can draw walks. Maybe you got speed. All those things are great, but you have to be able to put the bat on the baseball because it only gets harder as you move up. Yeah. And the fact that Noel V did as much as he did, particularly in terms of making really solid contact and showing, frankly, he's got probably 55 game power right now. That oh, is okay. such a positive indicator for me. And obviously mm-hmm. he's going to get bigger. He's going to get stronger. His approach yeah. is going to continue to improve. And obviously I'm incredibly high on him. And I said in the comment, he, you know, he can be a top five player in the major leagues if he ends up staying at shortstop and the early signs we've seen about his approach and his power, you know, with his power continuing to grow. If that's the trajectory he's on, he might end up the best of all three of these Mariners guys that we're talking about. And that's pretty good because I think those outfielders are both pretty special. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we, I mean, the only thing, the only thing I really had, a, I noticed this, uh, this, you know, we, we had him for what, like 10 games or something or 10 yeah. games mo- mm-hmm. at most. Um, was he definitely needs to work on the fielding? Uh, there were, there were yeah. more than a few uh questionable decisions in the field there, but sure. you know, that can Game, be drilled I, I, in. You know, I don't know how much you guys get to see other levels, but I, I do I mean, yeah. living here. It used to be short season, low A, high A, double A, very rarely, but occasionally triple A. I don't have short season anymore, but I've experienced watching that. And I have lots of experience watching complex leagues when I lived in Arizona. The, the game really does speed up at every level. They talk yeah. about, you'll hear guys, well, the game got a little too fast for him or, or, you know, or he's just got that clock and it doesn't matter if the game, he slows the game down. Yeah. It's they're, they're okay. They're a little cliched, but I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. You definitely see guys come up to Wilmington here and you, you just see those infielders. They're like, Whoa, Whoa, everything's moving just a little bit faster. The yeah. balls are hit just a little bit harder. Suddenly you really you see very quickly who's ready for it and who maybe needs some more time if we're generous about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I remember we were talking about it when he first showed up. We were concerned, you know, because he, he was 19. Yeah. And they brought up his best buddy with him, uh, <laughs> was Alberto. Um Oh, uh, Rodriguez, right? Rodriguez, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He brought up his the best Mariners buddy with him. They're tight, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. for, for, for emotional support, because, you know, this is a kid who's out of, you know, fish out of water. He's, you know, sure. and he's 19. First year here. How, how well can he, you know, adjust? And I was kind of surprised that they transplanted him with so little time left in the season uh, to move him back up, you know. I mean, well, was so- ever competing at that point? A lot of teams try to do that. Either they want a taste of what the following year is going to be like, or I know the Orioles were doing this with some well, some of their players trying to move them into a playoff hunt so they could go somewhere and be part of a playoff race just to get that experience. Well, we were dominating the whole entire minors for half the season, and then every single player got promoted in front of ever. That doesn't help. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no. It was the tale of two teams, is, I think, is the, the, uh, the phrase that our, our, the GM used when we talked about sure. Uh, cause the second half of the season, I mean, it just, it was a sharp drop off. I mean, no, credit to the guys who were there, they were great, but it was, you know, you, when you lose that many high rank prospects, yeah, you're going to notice a drop off, but they all, every one of them deserve, you know, deserve to go up and we wish them well, no problem. 
Um, so uh, I, I was I was curious though. You what, was who was the number? Uh, the third one was Kirby. Where did you have Kirby again? It was Kirby was in 45, 40, 45 I believe. Forty five. You got it in front of yeah. you. I have a two somewhere here. Yeah. Um, hold on. I have my filters on in my spreadsheet. One of the one of the yeah. one of the cool things. Uh, forty five uh, and Harry Ford was forty nine. Okay. Yeah. One of the cool things with uh, well, one of the only benefits I guess out of the minor restructuring. I. We're not going to go into that, but anyway, because of the minor restructuring, uh, minor leagues restructuring, uh, Everett moved from short season A up to high A. So high we A, right? See, we got to see a bunch of guys for a second time as they had mm-hmm. refined their craft a bit, a, a little bit here and there. So we got oh, to see, great. we got to see, you know, Kirby and Williamson and Brash and you know a whole bunch of guys the second time around. And and like you're saying, yeah, it gets a little faster now. It's it's. The competition has definitely increased. Yes. Um, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on Kirby. I like Kirby. I, I It does seem like I might be um, a little lighter on him than maybe what fans were hoping for, because obviously he throws very hard, right? And I think there's always an expectation if you've got a starting pitcher who throws that hard, well, he's going to be a number one starter. And I think Kirby might be more of a two, three. I mean, I've yeah. spoken to scouts who think he's a fourth starter who say that the fastball doesn't play up to its velocity and question whether he's going to be able to maintain that slider going forward. I see a guy who throws a ton of strikes with four pitches. Um, I think the breaking ball is going to end up being plus. I think he's got a pretty good idea what he's doing. I do kind of agree um, that the fastball plays below its velocity. I actually saw Kirby get whacked in college by Towson. Not exactly. No offense to Towson. (laughs) (laughs) We're not exactly talking LSU here. So it's a little bit of a different. And it was interesting to me because it was the fastball where Kirby just didn't have his command that day. And that's, that's, you know, whatever. Everyone, every pitcher has a day like that. It was interesting. Two things. One. The fastball obviously is you know not as deceptive, doesn't have the kind of movement that you maybe would would hope. So it plays a little below its velocity. Um, although of course when you're throwing 100, you can still get away with some stuff. But yep. he realized it very quickly, made a quick adjustment, and went very heavily to the curveball, and that they couldn't hit. And the, and that remains his, I think, remains his best pitch. And I think it's probably going to be a bread and butter for him. I think he'll work with all four pitches. I think he's got a really good idea what he's doing. You know, the Mariners had a lot of guys hit the shelf very briefly in July of last year. Kirby's stuff's whatever, you know, they're generally very coy about the reasons, but Kirby seemed to be the least serious of all. And he Mm -hmm. came back and it seemed like he was fine afterwards. So that didn't really affect his ranking, whereas it did for some of the other guys in the Mariners system. We we should just pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, Emerson Hancock. Unfortunately, it's not not his first go around with arm trouble. And I like Hancock, but I actually took him off the top 100 because Stuff wasn't quite as good last year, and he's having some trouble staying healthy. We should probably just moderate the projection from him a little bit. Whereas Kirby, but Kirby is he is the best pitching prospect in the system. I think he's got a chance to get there this year, maybe towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. They also don't seem terribly inclined to rush any of these guys. Obviously, signing a big free agent starter, one of the best things about that is that means when you have existing starters in your system who maybe aren't quite ready, you don't feel pressured so much to rush those. Take your time. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think they will. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if they just said, took somebody like Brash instead and said, we're putting you in the bullpen and going to run you up and have you help that way and take the guys like Kirby and Williamson who are more likely to remain starters. We're going to keep you on our previously planned development path. I was going to ask you what your thoughts were about Matt Brash. Do you think he will be more in the bullpen then? I would be absolutely shocked if he ended up a starter. 
that does not look like a starter at all. It is high effort. It is very difficult to repeat. What comes out of his arm is ridiculous. I mean, stuff wise, he actually probably would be, you know, I put him on my just miss list and that would be the highest I ranked any pitcher who I thought was going to go to the bullpen. Every pitcher who is on my top 100 is somebody I project to be a starter. So I'm telling you what comes out of Brash's arm is pretty special. And he's going to miss a ton of bats in every role. My fear with him, number one fear with him as a starter is he would break down. We just don't see, you just don't see starters who pitch like that. It's very, it's going to be very hard for him to maintain stuff and to just keep his delivery together a hundred pitches every fifth day when he's in the high effort environment, high leverage environment of the major leagues. Um, and it's going to be hard for him to maintain command and control like that. It's just you, you guys who throw like that, they pretty much always end up in the bullpen, even if they stay healthy, because it's very hard to consistently locate your fastball when you've got that much effort, that much extra movement. But it, like I said, what comes out of his arm is ridiculous. And it would not shock me at all if you told me two years from now, Matt Brash is either the closer or is in some other role that's not necessarily closer, but a very important high leverage, you know, maybe high war reliever role for them. Maybe he doesn't pitch the ninth inning, but he actually is the most valuable statistically of all the Seattle relievers. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, since well, we're, like we're, we're deviating a little bit, uh, and you've already mentioned his name, I, I need to hear uh, where you have uh, Williamson ranked in your, uh, in your Mariners, uh, if you can reveal that. Yeah, I can. Mariners uh, top 20. Yeah, well, so you know my top five, right? The four on the top 100. Okay. Matt Brash is five, mm-hmm. and Brandon five. Williamson is six. Okay, all right. Yes. And what do, you, what do you think about him? I mean, I think he's got it. I think he's going to be a mid-rotation starter. Okay. And, you know, it's a little bit of, are we not talking about him enough? And when I say that, I include myself, right? Yeah. I'm not saying, oh, the industry, I know all. You guys, you're not talking enough about Brandon Williamson. I'm, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm really saying, like, I wonder if I'm not talking about Brandon Williamson enough. He's big. He's left-handed. He gets good extension. It's not elite for a 6'6 guy, but it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll show you plus velocity on the fastball. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of above averages. Like, I don't know that there's really a knockout second pitch. And I wish his command were a little bit better. Those are the hesitations. He misses a ton of bats. He's got a, one of those above average pitches is a changeup. So he's going to get righties out. I like the delivery. And mm-hmm. so when I see a guy who seems athletic and I like the delivery, I want to bet a little bit on command improvements. I think that's where it can, you know, you got to be able to repeat your delivery and, or be really athletic. And if you're both even better. And I think Williamson's delivery is good enough that he should be able to squeeze some more command out of it. And if he gets to that, he's a mid-rotation starter. If any of those other pitches improve, say they do a little pitch design tweaking, which happens, I, wouldn't pro- I would never project that on a player. But there could be more in there, right? This guy's got a really good arm, and he can spin it, and he can turn over a change. Or he can do lots of things with the baseball already. Yeah. It's just none of them is enough to say, that's a wipeout pitch. That's going to miss a ton of major league bats. Yeah. But the, the sum of the parts is still pretty good. And obviously, yeah. he gets a boost for being left-handed. I'm, I'm aware of teams... They want those lefties. They're hard to find, especially yeah. guys who are big and throw hard and still have a good delivery. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is this the year of the catcher? It seemed like you had 20 plus catchers in your top hundred. I was, Oh my God. <laughs> I, I think it's a record. It was definitely the most I ever had in the top 20. Okay. Uh, that's about as much I figured out. And, and I'm sure it's cyclical, right? It's a, it's a fluke of timing, but yeah, 
it's pretty dang good right now. And it's inter- what's really interesting is they're not some of them are draft guys. Some of them are, some of them were international free agents. Gabriel Moreno, Francisco Alvarez, Diego Cartaya. They were you know pretty highly touted, but they were all international free agents too. And they've come in as catchers and they're staying catchers. Well, all these guys, I think all five, I have five catchers in my top 20, all like originally that, yeah. catchers. That's often mm-hmm. been a position where teams convert guys like Carson Kelly was yeah. a conversion mm-hmm. guy. He was a third baseman and pitcher from up by you actually yeah. in high school. Um, he was a conversion pro ball, Jorge, uh, pro ball. Jorge Posada was a conversion guy. Russell Martin was a conversion guy. Okay. These guys were all pure catchers. As far as I know, every one of them was a catcher when they first came into professional baseball, at least. Okay. That's pretty damn impressive. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then Harry yeah. Ford, who is our number 49 guy. Uh, yeah. What, what do you think he's, do you think he stays at catcher? It's, because he's so athletic. Know. Everyone keeps I, saying yeah. he could play multiple positions. Yes. The easy, I'm going to give you the cop-out answer, and then I'll give you a more detailed <laughs> answer. The cop-out answer is, if he hits like he's supposed to hit, you're just going to move him. Okay. Right? Because he's not, right? It's the Will Myers, Bryce Harper. Get him out from behind the plate and let him go hit. Yeah. That that might actually be the best case scenario for them. I I lean to the cop-out answer because I just don't know. I know people who saw Harry Ford in high school and said, that guy's a no doubt catcher. He's got a chance to be plus. And I know people who saw Harry Ford in high school and said, that guy has no chance to catch. We usually don't have that much divergence of opinion on something like that. You have divergence of opinion of, can he hit? Yeah. All the time. Oh my God. That's, that's constant divergence of opinion of it's a pitcher of command. How good is that breaking ball? But it's like, can he ever catch? It's usually pretty obvious if a guy can't catch. Yeah. And the fact that some people are saying he's going to be plus, he is a hell of an athlete. Mm. And some people are saying no shot. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I did not see him in the spring. I did not. I'm actually going, it's going to go to Georgia in like 10 days. And it'll be my first time there since before the pandemic started to go see Andrew Jones kid actually. Okay. Uh, which should make you feel old, make me feel old. Yeah. yeah. His son is now old enough to be draft eligible. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. Andrew Jones kid and Luke Collier's kid and Paul Spoljarek's kid, all possible oh, first rounders wow. in this year's draft class. Wow. Yep. And then yeah. I look at those players and I'm like, oh, dad is my age. Yeah. Well, that sucks. <laughs> um, one more about your top 20. Yeah, of course. Cor- Cor- Corbin Carroll, he's a local boy. Oh, now yeah. Arizona. Why, why 16? I mean, you seem pretty high on him. I am. I am. God, I wish he played last year. Yeah. Um, I think he can do it all. I think he's a stud and it's off the charts makeup. It is. He's going to hit. He's going to hit for surprising power for guys by 10. He can run. He can play center. He throws pretty well. Um, I don't know if you guys saw any of the stories, but after he had the shoulder injury, you know, folks who don't know, he blew out his shoulder on a home run swing. I mean, I guess what a way to go, but still not what he was hoping. He played a week, but he spent every time the Diamondbacks had a home game, he sat behind the plate with the, uh, with scouts, particularly with the gut or when by the guys charting. So he could ask questions so he could see major league pitching and try to learn as much as possible. And he said, it's, you know, I'm, I have this time. I might as well use it. You know, he'd hit all day or rehab all day. wasn't really hitting until the very end of the year and then go to the ballpark and try to do that. And by the end of the year, Jordan Lawler, their first round pick also had shoulder surgery. And so there's a bunch of photos. If you look online of the two of them, these two baby faces, right. (laughs) Sitting there behind the plate with a bunch of guys who look like me (laughs) and they're just soaking it up. And you know what? It's not going to take you from a, you know, 
100th ranked prospect to the 20th ranked prospect. But it matters. It says something. You got that desire. You don't have to be there. You could go out at night and be a 20, 21 year old, however old Carol is at this point. Go have some fun. You could do that. But he's dedicated enough to the craft that he chose to do that. All right. I give you a little nudge up the just a little, move you up just a little bit in the spreadsheet for that one. Very cool. I'm pretty sure we were talking tomorrow. You're coming out with the AL West mm-hmm. and our beloved Seattle Mariners. You care to give us a preview? Um, sure. Okay. And we've talked about the top what, six, six guys. Yep. yep. So, you know, six. the top six. Yep. And there's some, you know, what I say is there's, there's superstar potential up top, um, which I think was true last year also. But now what you really have is, there's depth. There's a lot more depth in the system than there was even a year ago. And obviously a year ago, we hadn't seen a lot of these players too. So it's possible this depth was even there two years ago, but yeah. they keep, they've drafted well, you know, they've mm-hmm. hit on some picks early so far that we've seen you know, the early returns on some of these picks seem pretty good. They've had some guys really pop up and they continue to do very well in international free agency too. Obviously, you know, Julio and Noel V are the ones we know, but there are quite a few, uh, outfielders in the system who are from Latin America originally, who are maybe the next wave of guys. They might be two years out from being, you know, guys we talk about in a conversation like this, but they're coming, right. And they're, Mm -hmm. they're going to start to move up the system. And that that's what I'm talking about when I say depth, I don't mean they got a bunch of middle relievers and utility infielders, although those guys are good to have. It's good to have, you know, you'd rather get those guys from your system than go out and have to pay for them on the open market. But at the same time, I see more guys lower down in the system who could pop up. And then we're talking about them as future regulars, maybe a future star or two. And that's what you really want to see in a well-run organization that's kind of clicking on multiple cylinders. They've hit on some draft picks. They've drafted high. That helps. But they've done well. They have really seem to have done well in international free agency. And they're doing well in player development. That's what you really like to see is when they click on all of those. And actually, I should mention, they've done well in trades. Matt Brash was a trade. Oh, that was right. Alberto Rodriguez was fleecing. a no. It was a fleecing of the Padres. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Not a lot of teams get to say they've done that. You know, the Padres, they've done that to a few other clubs. But the Mariners definitely got the better of that one. Well, not just that one, but the uh the one where we um gave them a couple of relievers and a in a bag of balls for uh like five guys. Um oh was Is that, that the Dollar Austin Nola we- trade? Yes, that's yeah. the one I'm thinking of. Yes, Nola and two relievers, right? Nola and two relievers that yeah. probably weren't going to be on the major league squad the next year anyway. Yep. So um, there's some smart moves. So yeah. give us give us a rundown. Who we who we, who we got number eight? Uh, let me see. I got to pull it back up. Make sure I tell it to you correctly. Seven was <laughs> Hancock, who we talked about. Okay. Levi Stout at eight. Okay. Um, you know, Stout had Tommy John surgery in 2019, so he uh, last year was actually his pro debut. And then his forearm barked a little bit. So he got shut down in August. We didn't get to see, I think, the full Levi Stout, which is sort of unfortunate. But it's two pretty good pitches there. And Mm -hmm. if his elbow can hold up, if he had a better breaking ball, he'd be be higher on the list, obviously. But I think even fastball changeup, especially with his arm action, he should be able to throw enough strikes. I can project on him a little bit, maybe two years out. We're talking about a guy who's a back-end starter in the big leagues. And I do think if you're fast, but you can be a two-pitch starter. It's not easy. Yeah. It's much easier to do that if you're fastball change-up, fastball splitter, or something like that, than fastball breaking ball. Because those fastball breaking ball guys nearly always have issues with hitters on the opposite side. Yeah. It's 
it's not a universal truth, but it's pretty close. It's close mm-hmm. to we have, I think, in baseball. Um, whereas Stout has that change up already. Maybe he can improve the breaking ball. He does come from a pretty high slot, and so that helps. So he gets more depth naturally on the pitch. You know, those are things to maybe work with. But the number one thing for him, uh, well, I should say, one and one A are health and control, just throwing more strikes, better strikes. He hasn't pitched a lot. Yeah. And so the hope is gets get him on the mound this year. I'm sure they'll be cautious with his workload, just try to keep him healthy. But the number one thing for him should be just working on more strikes and then better strikes. It all starts with being able to command the fastball. I don't think there's a real reason he can't do it. He's just not doing it yet. And um, that's why I still have him in as a starter, though. I think that there's, you know, he's got that chance because of those various reasons, the things that are already kind of in his toolkit, and then some of the things that I think are well within reach for him. Okay. And, um, yeah, we, we, we saw him pitch here in Everett and, mm-hmm. and he was, yeah, he was, he was lights out when he, when he wanted to be, um, mm-hmm. I do remember, I do remember the fastball, uh, but yeah, I, I did remember there was some, some command issues sometimes. It's not terrible. Like, and right? He's not all over the place. No, but... it's not. It's not a big deal. Um, there, there were other pitchers who, couldn't hit the side of a barn someday uh, that are on the 40 man roster that I question, but uh, he might be on your list later, lower down. I don't know. I can't say names, but <laughs> I'm actually looking here to try to figure out who you might be talking about. And I'm not sure I might've omitted him. Uh, yeah. Those guys who can't throw strikes. If I mention them, it's usually the others of note. There was a guy I mentioned in the Marlins write up which will run on Monday where he can't throw a strike at all, but his backstory is too interesting. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll put him right. I, if I could tell a good story, I'll tell a good story. Yeah, right? I tried yeah. to do that with a bunch of clubs this year. It's like, Hey, this guy's not an elite prospect, but he's somebody you might want to root for. Right? Let's root yeah. for some guys, right? Yeah. That guy who got picked in the 23rd round, that guy who got signed out of a men's league, that guy who came back from some ridiculous injury. Let's root for those guys. Sam yeah. Carlson would be one of those guys. Oh yeah. yeah. Right. How about that guy missed what? two and a half years, maybe more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Might've been two plus with injuries and then the pandemic year. And how about that guy coming back and pitching a full season? Yeah. That's pretty great. Looking forward to seeing him this this year too. You you should. Yeah. You know what? A year ago, it seemed like a long shot that he would get to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. Now he came back this year and his stuff was not what it was, but he's going to get to the big leagues. I think if he doesn't have another injury and he was healthy all year, he was one of the healthier guys in the system. He'll get to the big leagues somewhere. Maybe he's, maybe it's not with Seattle. Maybe it's just a fifth starter, but he's going to get to the big leagues. And that is awesome. Like we should, you know, that we should root for those guys. I'm, I'm very in on finding those stories. Even if that guy gets to the big leagues for a couple of weeks, he made it against the odds and we should, you know, let's remember that, right? We spend a lot of time talking about the Julios and the Noel V's and there's nothing wrong. I get paid. You know, that's what people, <laughs> they click for that stuff. Yeah. But don't forget the other guys who are, yeah, there's a cool story here and there. And Carlson for me is definitely one of those <laughs> where, hey, I had him ranked as a first rounder when the Mariners took him. And then obviously he blew out basically right away. And, um, you know, we waited, Mariners waited three plus years to see what it looked like. Yeah, that's crazy. Is Adam is Adam Macko on, on your top twenty? He is on my list. He's in the towards the back of the twenty, but he made the twenty. Um, I actually interviewed him a year ago on my podcast because I'm speaking of an interesting story. Right, mm-hmm. uh, born in Slovakia, which I think would make him the first big leaguer ever to be born in Slovakia, if and when he gets there. And then he moves yeah. to Ireland. 
and then he moves to Canada. So that's oh, wow. already you have my attention. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, and he's a lefty. He missed a ton of bats last year. It's mid nineties. He can really spin it. He's a great, he's a smart kid. He's a great kid. I don't know what it looks like, right? He got shut down because he had a shoulder injury. It was not structural. He had enough, didn't have to have surgery or anything. So TBD. Guys I talked to who saw him before he got hurt say it's probably a reliever, but he's a kid. You got to give him, definitely give him some time mm-hmm. um, and probably work him out as a starter, like to send him out as a starter anyway, to let him continue to work on command and secondary stuff. But he's got a real chance to get there. And he's definitely somebody I'm keeping an eye on too, because I'm also always a fan of, you know, somebody from an unusual place gets to the big leagues. You know, I just think I've been to Aruba uh, twice, once for a vacation, once actually for a work trip, best work trip ever. Um, <laughs> and I've talked to some players who are from Aruba and Curacao and they, you know, who's your favorite player? Why did you start playing baseball? Andrew Jones, Andrew Jones, Andrew, all of one star from a place can really change the way that people there perceive baseball. And it puts baseball on television all the time in a place like that. Mm-hmm. And so if Adam Mackle gets to the big leagues, okay, maybe he's never Andrew Jones, but you know what? It becomes a news story in Slovakia or maybe even in Ireland and people start talking about it. And some kids see that and say, I want to learn what baseball is. So they watch baseball on YouTube now yeah. and they say, oh, that seems fun. We need that. Like those yeah. are those are good stories and it helps baseball plant a flag in a couple of other places because major league baseball is not good at doing this themselves. So it's, you know, if the players, (laughs) the, when the players do that and happens organically, it's probably more sustainable that way anyway. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. We should see him in Everett this year, hopefully for Mm -hmm. a little bit anyway. I think so. Okay. Um, We we could probably pick your brain all night about your top 100 and all the Mariners, but I want to talk about, one of your books that you wrote mm-hmm. uh, in 2020 you came out with the inside game. Um, what was the story behind that? But first, before you tell us the story behind that book, <laughs> I, I, just reading all the comments that people wrote about you. I mean, di- everything was different and, and freaking amazing and uh, props to you, man. Seriously. <laughs> I, I, I'm a, Honestly, I'm about halfway through the book, but it, it, it's very entertaining. So thank you. Thank you. Well, that was my hope was to write, something that was entertaining as well as being informative. Um, the, the genesis, you know, after my first book, Harper Collins wanted me to write another baseball book. And I just said, I, you know, I don't know that I have another one in me, right? Baseball is a full-time job. And I just written smart baseball and, uh, you know, I just was a little burnt out on the idea of doing that again, but a number of people in baseball have been, uh, especially at that time, had been reading books like Thinking Fast and Slow, which is a book by Nobel Prize winning economist named Daniel Kahneman about uh, cognitive psychology and behavioral economics and, and sort of the way that we can make better decisions by realizing what cognitive biases or illusions screw us up. And we all fall for them. The thing I always say about this book is it does not matter how smart you are. If you're human, and I assume most of the listeners are, mm-hmm. then you are going to have these problems, the recency bias and availability by all these ones I discussed in the book, they just happen. They're automatic processes in the brain. It is how we deal with the fact that our brains are trying to, to handle just so much information that is coming in all the time, right? Your brain has to take shortcuts constantly. Yeah. And that's where these biases come from. 
And I've read many books on the subject. I read about this topic all the time. I love the science of decision-making uh, is one of my favorite things. I listen to a podcast from NPR called The Hidden Brain that is, I'd say about two thirds of the episode are somewhere in this area. And even the ones that aren't, they're usually pretty interesting. And, but a lot of these books just assume that you know something about psychology or economics beforehand. I didn't know a lot about psychology. Um, so I married a psychologist. So that seems right. That works. It's the same thing, right? You took the shortcut. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I do have a background in economics, both my under my undergrad, part of my major was economics. I went to uh, grad school, got an MBA, where of course we had to take economics and, and obviously it's just like suffused within the curriculum. So it's like, I can, I can get started. I can understand this stuff. I can read a book like Thinking Fast and so because I have the prerequisites. I already took the class. It's not fair that most people can't read that book. That book is dense and it is a bit academic. Um, and Kahneman writes like, a, writes like an academic, which is, mm. you know, I understand, um, but that's not for everybody. And my pitch to HarperCollins was, what if I combine these two things? I can write a book that's basically still about baseball, but tells a bunch of fun baseball stories in the context of all of these different individual biases, cognitive biases. And for folks who aren't maybe super interested in baseball, I can write a book that explains these basic concepts from decision sciences, from behavioral economics, et cetera, and make them funny and accessible by using baseball stories. So you could come at this book from either angle and I'd be happy. Oh, what I really want is people to just enjoy the book more than anything else. Hopefully you can read the book and you come out and say, I was entertained. Are you not entertained? I was entertained. <laughs> But maybe you walk away and you learned a little something. And I do say at points in the book, and I've said this just talking about the book over the years too, this might help people in personal finance. It might come up when you're trying to buy a house or a car. Um, my wife and I just bought a house last year. And trust me, this stuff was on our mind. And there's lots of ways you can sort of trick yourself into making a big financial decision wrongly. You know, and if you can try to keep some of these things in mind, change your process just a little bit, change your thinking, whether it's at home or in business, you're going to come out with better decisions on the other end. And if all that my book does is make people stop and think and say, maybe I should take a minute, get a little more information, then I feel like I've done my job. Or if they read my book and say, I want to go learn more about this. Maybe I'll find something by Kahneman or one of the other many books on this topic that's maybe a little more rigorous and a little more serious. Great. I've done my job. Great. It's very, oh, like I just said, it's very entertaining. I can't wait to read more of the stories. Um, one that stood out was you, you talked about the 2001 World Series and Bob Melvin, not Bob Melvin, Bob Brenly and his right. managerial decisions. And long story short, I, I wouldn't have thought that he, he could have lost the World Series for them with his decision making, but you broke it down piece by piece. Like, you know, he tried his he, best. He did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. And uh, that's a story that I'll share with others down the road, just because I just love to talk baseball, but uh, it, it is so clear and precise. I mean, I, it's hard for me to, when we talk about baseball, like this and that, you know, like war and everything else, that's hard for me to understand. I mean, I'm still learning that, but just this book, you, you make it seem like someone as not, uh, not as intelligent as others can can, can grasp it, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't, you know, I, make it accessible for everyone. There that's you go. What I yeah. hope for. Right? Yeah. I'm very cognizant of the fact. I'm trust me. I'm a highly privileged person throughout my life, and I got to go to two pretty good universities for my 
for my undergraduate and graduate degrees. And you know what? That's that's my good fortune in life, right? I was just mm-hmm. sort of born into some good luck. Um, I don't want to be that guy who was born on third base and he thinks he hit a triple, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, one thing I always try to do in my writing, even though I try to, like, I don't want to not sound intelligent and I'm going to respect the reader too. And I'll, I'll ask you to play along and I'll try to, you know, put some high concepts in there too. But I want to give everyone a chance to read. I don't want to assume, I don't like the idea that it's like, oh, no, no, I am. I'm fancy man, Keith law. You must <laughs> have a college degree to read my stuff. No, no, you shouldn't have to. And hopefully my writing is accessible enough. And I try to be, you know, hit that right balance between serious and casual. So that if someone doesn't understand something, they feel like they can ask and they can ask me or they can ask, you know, often it's my other readers too who end up chiming in. If I look at comments on the athletic or even on Twitter, other people will chime in and answer often before I get a chance to. And, you know, I've, I, that's something in the last couple of years too, I've tried to be better at um, because I just think earlier I was, you know, interpreted a lot of stuff as you know, people, people would come at me with questions. It's like, are you asking a question or are you just being snarky, but being some kind of <laughs> troll? And you know what? I should assume good intent more often. I still, I still get it wrong sometimes, but I want to try to be more open and more for people who, who say, I, I really want to learn this. Hey, I, I will absolutely, I will make that walk with you. And if I said something you just really didn't grasp, that's okay. That's on me, the writer. That is not on you, the reader. Okay. I, I read your first book, Smart Baseball, and oh, that you. was good too, but that was more harder for me to understand <laughs> compared to this one, but that was There's good. more math in the first one, right? Yes. There you go. Yep. <laughs> uh, I just have to say, though, Fancy Man Keith Law, that, that's your new nickname for me. Thank you. Um, Thank I, you. I will have to call you that. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Fancy Man Keith Law. That's great. Uh, okay, so we're <clears throat> we're nearing the end of our uh, our show here. What we usually like to do is do some shout outs and, and positive good good things here, uh, um, and we'll 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 hit you last, Keith. Uh, let you plug some things, uh, but I uh, wanted to wrap things up here. Uh, go ahead, and Mr. Solak, you uh, I'm sure you have some shout outs. I do have a shout out, but can I ask one last question? Now? Oh yeah, we'll allow it. Sure. Oh, okay. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Where, we have where, to. Where did you get your love for baseball? Did you play as a kid? I mean, where? How, uh, how? Po- poorly. Yeah. Um, you <laughs> can't see here, but I'm five six and slight of frame, and for reasons I won't go into, building muscle mass is just not in my genes. So um, I wanted to, but I just wasn't any good at it. Um, my parents are both big baseball fans. They're both born and raised in the Bronx, and. Um, my mom, especially, and her mother were just really diehard Yankee fans. My father too, but certainly my, my mom was the biggest. She tells, she swears I watched the 77, 78 world series with her um, when I would have been four and five respectively. Weirdly enough, I don't remember them. I remember things from those ages, but don't remember watching. I remember 80 and I certainly remember 81 who could forget 81. Um, If you're a baseball fan, it's amazing. I'm still a baseball fan at this point, (laughs) but as soon as I was old enough, especially old enough to connect, um, you know, the baseball card and the back of the baseball card with all the stats. And then with what I was seeing on television, that just kind of locked me in for life and have really never wavered on being a baseball fan. Even as, you know, when I was a kid, I liked all sports. Baseball was just the favorite in our house. Never a huge basketball fan because nobody in the family was for us. It was baseball. 
ice hockey because we have the Islanders. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, by the way. I hear you have a team. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Who have yeah. released Kraken. the Kraken. Yes. Um, <laughs> the Islanders were good. When I was a kid, at my like, formative sports fan years, they won four straight Stanley Cups. Wow. And so those were the two big sports. And we went to Yankee games. We went to Met games, too. I went to a bunch of Islanders games. And then just kind of stuck with it and got to college and found a community of people online who were discussing baseball in ways that I'd never heard before. Um, that was the, you know, the old sabermetric community on Usenet. And I read that stuff and thought, wow, this is amazing. I don't know any of this and <laughs> I need to, you know, really discard some pretty long held beliefs on the sport. And because I want to think about this kind of the right way. And then, you know, just my fandom evolved, but at the end of the day, I just, I love the game. I love watching it. I wish I could play it. I absolutely wish, well, now I'm too old, but I wish I could have played it. I wish I were a little bit taller. I wish we were a baller. I wish I were at seven. I have none of these things. I don't yeah, throw hard. Girl, I just, if you did, you would call her. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I tried to throw a ball for the neighbor dog who always sees me and brings the tennis ball over, uh -huh. um, which I love. And I tried to throw it for him to back to his house, right? Because I'm like, you're really not, it's fine, but you're really not supposed to be here. I, I think I've lost a little arm strength in the off season. Had <laughs> a half grade down on the fastball. It's a little disappointing. Uh, so you're in the low 40s at this point or so what you're saying? So, yeah. I think so. I never had command. So oh. I don't think there's much of a future for me. Oh, man. Right on. Thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. My shout out, two shout outs. One, obviously it's this Monday's Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day to my lovely wife of 27 years. I love you, honey. So thank you for putting up with me. She's standing right to his right. You always <laughs> think that, no. <laughs> um, and then my other shout out is to you, Keith Law, to Rob Nyer, to Jason Churchill. Over the last six months, I've learned so much about baseball from you guys, and I'm also we're also very appreciative that you've been on our show too. I mean to come join You're somebody like times just talk to us yeah absolutely well thank you for joining us tonight we, we had a great time and if you i know you're gonna be always busy for the next 20 years but down the road we'd love to have you back on again if you're ever able to sure thing yeah we, yeah i have to i have to echo him on uh thanks when he told me He's like, oh yeah, Keith, Keith's gonna uh, come on the show. I'm like, oh, really? Sweet, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love. I, I'm passionate about watching minor the minor leagues more than the majors, really, yeah. because we just I've fallen in love with the stories of the players and and meeting the players. For you know, we we write for the for the Aqua Sox, and we and so we get access and get to do interviews with the players and meet them. Oh, great! And, and it's yeah. a lot of fun to follow these guys as they go through their careers and and hear their stories and you know hear all the fun stupid stuff that happens. Um, but, uh, I wanted to give a shout out. Uh, this is, this is unrelated to football or unrelated to baseball, but in football, I, I, I saw that, uh, TJ, uh, TJ Watt won the, uh, defensive player of the year honors, which means that the NFL actually got it right for once. Uh, and I wanted to give him congratulations, <laughs> but, uh, Keith, so you want to, uh, give us a shout out, promote your, uh, your, your lists and, and, uh, where we can, where people can find you. Sure. Um, so you can find me first on The Athletic. Uh, all the stuff that we've talked about is available only to subscribers to The Athletic. But if you click on any of my articles, it'll tell you how to subscribe. Uh, Absolutely so worth the money, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. It's the <laughs> top 100, the list of guys who just missed the top 100 in uh, ranking of all 30 farm systems, one to 30, the Mariners were second. And then uh, top 20 prospects, plus all these other details I mentioned for each of the 30 organizations. By next Tuesday, all of that will have run. And then I sleep. 
and then after that, I start draft coverage. So we got that too. Um, right. You can also find me on Twitter at Keith Law on uh, Instagram, which is generally not baseball. A lot of pictures of food and board games, but some people like that stuff. It's MR, like Mr. Keith Law. Um, and I do maintain a blog of my own at meadowparty.com slash blog. It's an old Bloom County reference, if you're old enough to remember that comic strip. Mm. Um, but a lot of my non-baseball writing ends up there, and I do try to link back and forth to everything. So if you follow me there, you will generally not miss anything that I do. Um, ultimately, once, once we get out of prospect season, I do a links post every Saturday where I say, Say, hey, here's all the stuff I write. I wrote in the last week. In case you missed something, great. Uh, nice. All right. So with that, uh, this is the Seattle Sports Union podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. You can find uh, Soul Man on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us at SeattleSportsUnion.com and our other podcasts that are there. And thanks for listening.